hospital medical staff. Attention. <sighs> Please refrain from slapping the recently deceased. While not specifically in our guidelines, just come on, guys. You're killing me here. This concludes your announcements. Stay tuned for the sound of me banging my head against the wall. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hey, hey, constant readers. And today we are covering episode four of Kingdom Hospital, The West Side of Midnight. And we have CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Thanks, Josh. Quick disclaimer, we are recording remotely And so things sound a little different right now during the shelter in place. So our audios kind of, we're working out the kinks. And that's, that's it for my disclaimer, I guess. (laughs) I still have some, some personal kinks I'm trying to work out. Uh, We find out about them every so, every so many episodes. Yeah. Episode four really brought it back for me. I enjoyed this episode a lot. We kick things off with, oh, a nice song, a good song. No Deezer. It's a bluesy montage of hospital goings-on, including the ghost ambulance, and things seem pretty quiet and uneventful, except for Mary's bell, which is ringing. She's on top of the elevator, and Ralph is giving Peter weird side glances, and Stegman is sleeping in his car, and I don't feel bad for him. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, this montage, it's been 24 hours, uh it's the same day but it's now nighttime and everyone sleeps at the hospital yeah everyone (laughs) (laughs) everyone basically lives here i it like it shows hook sleeping in okay where the fuck is hook is supposed to be (laughs) a weird x-ray lined hotel room that he stays in well, at first, I thought maybe those were the the kingdom apartments that he was talking about. And then I was like, I, no, this seems very weird. So it seems to me like Hook found a room and turned it into his own private on-call room kind of a thing. Yeah, and we we later find out that it's apparently a thousand miles away from the actual <laughs> hospital. Yeah, apparently. The page and they're like, the emergency, emergency to Dr. Hook. And then it shows him riding a little cart through the basement being like, yeah, yeah, I'll get there. <laughs> it's like a bad on-call room. I just figured it out. What? They're all there because they can't leave because they're all ghosts. They're all ghosts. Yeah, I could believe it. <laughs> I could absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Abel and Kristen are sleeping in the kitchen. So they're like just spooned and just so adorable. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. We get a new character this episode too. We are in Castle Rock with Mr. Sugarly and his in-home nurse or caretaker, Emma. She's checking his vitals and he appears to be dead. So obviously the natural thing to do is to rob him Mostly rob him. She leaves him some, which I mean, at that point, like, why bother, right? Well, she doesn't want to be greedy. Well, he doesn't need it. And I'm not <laughs> condoning her robbing him, but if you're going to do it, go all the way. 
don't half-ass bad things. I the scene didn't quite go where I expected. What did you guys think of what happened next? I thought I thought it was great. Uh, after she did the uh, mirror under the nose to see if he was breathing, and was just like, "Oh, sorry, buddy, you're dead," and goes to leave the room after robbing him. He just sits up and he's like, what the hell are you doing in here? And she has a full on heart attack and it's should probably not be as funny as it is, but I thought it was hilarious. I fully misinterpreted the scene. Oh, Oh. how'd you interpret it? Okay. So he, there's like monitors and it, it beeps or she, she turns this monitor off and then walks over to his body and holds a mirror under his nose and, it's a shot like we can't really see the mirror. So I assume this was just something she did a lot to see if he had died yet. <laughs> I assumed he was still alive because she immediately says something like, well, so long, you old bastard or whatever. <laughs> and then puts a pillow over his head. I thought, <laughs> I thought he was alive, but for some reason she was just like, you know what? I'm done with this and was just really bad at smothering someone with a pillow. Uh, shift over. Yeah. Amazing. It made a lot more sense when he sat up and was like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> you are really bad at murder. Um, ben, you misinterpreted this and I am now going to misremember it. <laughs> <laughs> She does manage to get a call in to 911 before she passes out. So we do get a visit with our EMTs again, although I am a little bit disappointed. They did not talk about her eyeballs at all. Not one, not one word. I, I was hoping they'd have like a, a, like a sofa in the back. Like they're just <laughs> running a moving company in their spare time. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Now we cut to Sally and Lenny. And uh, this, the stuff between Sally and Lenny kind of got me. Actually, it gets, it gets very emotional and feels he's not doing well. We already knew that they had a history and they were friends, but it's clear that he does mean a lot to her and she to him. And she tells him she's been ghost hunting with her crystal, and he tells her he loves her, her and all her crazy ghosts. And then he's like. Also remember the time we fucked. Okay, I'm glad you said that because I, I, my note was, what are they talking about? Are they talking about the one time they boned or something else? Yeah, they, they not only did they fuck, but they made it a fuck for the ages. Do we have to say fuck for the ages on this podcast? <laughs> I'm surprised I, this is the first time, <laughs> Ben. He's frozen or he's pulling an awesome prank on us. <laughs> not again. All right, what I miss? So you didn't miss anything. Josh and I were speculating on Lenny and Sally's genitals. So do you have anything you want to <laughs> add to that? It's funny that you said the scene was like really, uh, really got you because the only note I took was I don't care about this subplot or character. Well, it was <laughs> la- <laughs> it's later, a little later when we're back with them that it gets me. It's terrible. It's a, a man's dying, but I'm just like, okay, they they fucked once for what we what definitely sounds like a very long time ago. <laughs> I, like that's not a lot of chemistry. How do you know we only fucked once? 
Because he's like, hey, remember that one time? Well, maybe he was, it was only with her once. I bet Lenny gets it in a lot. Look at him. <laughs> Are you still there, Ben? Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. I, was saying, I, I thought you actually froze again. <laughs> Oh, my uh, bad. No. Okay, so when I make a bad joke, it's you haven't frozen. <laughs> uh, oh, you guys. Okay, when we are with Hook and he's getting paged, does he have like a mini cemetery in his room? W- what is that? Yeah, it looks like a makeshift graveyard. I, it has uh, Mona Klingerman's name in amongst them. So I assume it's... They're all botched surgeries. Oh my god, that's super dark. And there's a lot of them. I don't think there should be that many of them. No. It's too many. Too many botched surgeries, if that's the case. Okay. Oh, we are in the operating room with Emma, the thieving nurse. And, of course, the doctors begin to sing again. But it's better than last time. (laughs) Seriously, I was like, as soon as it started, I was like, no. (laughs) <laughs> this turns into another number I'm done but luckily they sing her to death and she doesn't want to be a part of it <laughs> Megan was once again in the room while I was watching it I would not say she was watching it but she was there and as soon as the singing started she just flat out says this show sucks <laughs> tell her she's wrong <laughs> tell her the singing sucks but she's wrong there's something I gotta tell you guys what's up I like myself now. I used to hate myself. This scene is the worst writing so far. Stegman is just somewhere. He's somewhere. Okay, I've got this. I So this was driving me insane. And I had to go back and rewatch it to, to get this right. Because we've seen this building where the street toughs hang out several times. But I could never get a good look at the name but it clicked when I rewatched the episode with the with Rolf, because Rolf, when we first meet him, is laying on his prison cot reading a pamphlet from Christ Only Mission Church. And it's the same logo. So that building the street toughs are hanging out in front of is a mission that like basically supplies homeless people with jobs for a day. It like clicked so many little things. And it also kind of clears up why Stegman is sleeping in his car. Okay, so he just thinks that all people who are experiencing poverty are going to steal his car. No, it's, it's because that's the place right across from their parking lot, and he assumes it's them. And later we find out that he's there waiting for those two guys when they get there first thing in the oh, morning. Yeah, that's right. So he's on I assume out. he saw what happened, decided he was going to confront them, so he slept in his car so that he could go and be standing in front of the mission before anybody got there. Okay, that does make a lot of sense. It does not excuse, however, this pointless bad soliloquy that he does to no one for no reason. See, I kind of disagree. I I like it because it seems like we are watching Stegman descend into madness because since we've met him, he's just gotten a little crazier and a little more intense. And I feel like we're just going to never let him back down. He's just going to keep scaling up until he explodes. I'm kind of so scared of him in a way that 
during the scene when he was saying, you know, I, I like myself now. I used to hate myself. I tried to save that little girl. This harassment will end. It will end today. Before we see him approach the hooligans, I thought that he was, I was like, is he going like, to kill this little girl? Is he going to sabotage her? I know that seems extreme. I think extreme. that would cause him more problems than give him solutions. Yeah, but does he seem like a real um, solution-focused, in a positive way kind of guy? That seemed like a... Uh, I was almost thinking it was ramping up to like, to, like a self-harm kind of situation, not a him hurting someone else. All right. We are back with Mary. She is on top of the elevator, and she is ringing her bell. And we assume she's ringing her bell for Lenny. He knows he's dying, and th- this is a scene that kind of got me. Sally's asking him if he's afraid, and she tells him not to be, that he's just passing over to be with all those crazy ghosts, which, like, okay, Sally, you spook. Don't tell a dying person something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and Mary is calling to him now, and Sally can hear the bell, too, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I bought that. Yeah, me too. The problem I had is that you you say we assume that the bell is being rung for Lenny. Well, we do more than assume because Mary is literally ringing her bell and going, Lenny, Lenny. (laughs) Well, she's doing that later because she she also is ringing her bell for Emma, the thieving nurse. No, we... She calls for Lenny first, and then you're like, oh, he's about to die. He's about to die. And then it cuts back to Mary, and she goes, Emma, Emma. (laughs) And then the nurse dies, and Lenny's still there like two scenes from now. Yeah, it's like she got the uh, memo that was like, oh, not not now. We have somebody in uh, the ER that needs you. She's like, oh, (laughs) I'll be back for your afternoon bell, Lenny. I gotta go. No, so I think I maybe I said it weird. When she rang the bell the first time, she wasn't saying anybody's. That was like one of the first scenes when she was on top of the elevator. That's what I meant. Oh, yeah. That is true. Yeah. She does ring it earlier in the episode, and it's just like, ooh, ominous. Well, Lenny's a red herring, you know. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Yep. Did you guys uh, audibly gasp when uh, Dr. Lewis slaps the shit out of a corpse? Uh, no. I burst into laughter because it was, I, I was laughing already. So, okay. This scene is the, the nurse is dying and hooks like she's dead, man. And this other doctor who we've kind of seen, but have no emotional connection to whatsoever. is freaking out. And like, has this guy never had a patient die before ever? I thought he was freaking out initially because it's like one of their own, but I don't know. Maybe you'd still be cool, calm, and collected. <laughs> like, like all doctors have what cops have. Like, <laughs> uh, one of the brotherhood is gone. I can't believe it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I mean, I am no. a podcast doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's every uh, like we freak out every time that a, a podcaster dies in front of us. It's in front of us. <laughs> it happens more em. than you guys know. <laughs> so yeah, I always already thought this scene was kind of hilarious because he's freaking out. And I'm like, calm down, man. You're a doctor. But then he just full on slaps the shit out of this dead woman. 
and the hook like has to grab him and be like, dude, take a walk. <laughs> and then that's when he he storms out. And we that's then when we find out that it's not because, you know, they lost one of the brotherhood. It's because that she is actually his ex-wife and Elmer's mother. And we get I, I she has a tragic backstory. I feel I do feel really bad for her in this situation and him and Elmer. Yeah, we get a full king backstory for this tertiary character. Oh yeah. But it's important though for, I think for us to understand Dr. Lewis and Elmer. So she was she got hooked on pain meds at some point in her life and started stealing them from the hospital, got in a lot of trouble. Lewis ended up leaving her. And that explains a lot about Elmer, actually. Yeah, because you can tell that he made sure to put distance between Elmer and his mother, kept them apart. Because she, the nurse who fills uh, Hook in on all this information, the way she talks about their divorce, she says that all of that drug stuff went to court and she uh, was cleared in court but not by Lewis. And he, yeah, and he waited to divorce her until the dust settled too, which I thought was interesting. It's like he, you know, tried to, tried not to deliver that final blow at the worst possible time, I guess. I, and I was just thinking that explains Elmer because his mom wasn't around to tell him not to be rapey on women. Yeah. And we get more of that. But first, I, I want to speculate about something with you guys. When Mary is calling to Emma and we are in the operating room, it seems like Hook hears her as well. Is that because she had revealed herself to him previously? Or is it his connection with Sally that's allowing him to kind of tap into the the old kingdom world? What's What do you guys think? I think that they've formed the beginnings of a connection already with the incident on top of the elevator. So now that he is aware of her, he's a, a, aware of the things she does. The, the, I've given up on the rules. I've given up. <laughs> the, this scene coming up in a little bit get, was the final straw for me trying to understand anything that happens in the show <laughs> at all. All right. Well, before we get to that, let's visit our favorite doctor and our favorite group of of young ruffians stegman is confronting the hooligans i really like this scene Uh, my note was stegman's bringing a gun to a word fight (laughs) he should have forgot about it daddy oh god (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah he he I, i love that he you can tell Stegman has been standing in this doorway rehearsing this speech over and over and over because he's just very plain and direct of like, uh, I want to know who did this. You know who did it. If it was you, I'd be willing to look away this one time, but I need names. And then when they finally like, they say it, it was two people in white, they were probably orderlies or whatever. He pays them to not go to work for the day and try to find those people because he wants their names because he is going to get revenge. 
Okay, question for you guys. When you have been crafting a badass speech that you're going to deliver to some strangers and you've been working on it like hours or all night or whatever, like in your heads, because in mine, it's always this like really cool, like I'm a badass and maybe... I walk up to him and I've got a cigarette and I, I take a puff and then I flick it like a like a really cool person, and the speech is delivered beautifully. Do you think his went how he envisioned it? I think absolutely. I think it absolutely did. Even if it didn't, it's Stegman, so he would probably <laughs> congratulate himself for a job well done. Oh, uh, that's true. I did what if I thought was the most hilarious thing was after this really intense speech because we know who he's to, who they're talking about. We know that. It's Abel and Kristen. It cuts to him storming off and then just one quick shot of our Greek chorus spooning in the kitchen and then it cuts away again. (laughs) So like he's all like hyped up and ready for battle and it just cuts to them just peacefully sleeping. Okay, yeah. There's another problem with this scene is he goes to the street tufts. He's like, tell me who it is. And they say... It was two people. They were wearing white orderly uniforms, a man and a woman. I'm trying. It is not insensitive or uh, offensive when asked, who are the people I'm looking for to say, oh, you know, it's those two orderlies who happen to have Down syndrome. It's a defining characteristic and something I think they would have noticed but for the sake of mystery, they're just like, oh, no, it's just two orderlies. Who could it be? Do you think that was intentional, though? Because they have his money and they didn't have to give him all the information he needed. That is true. But also, I don't know, maybe I'm just not giving enough credit to this show's writers at this point. <laughs> yeah, I'm with Sam. I thought that was a bit of a, not a misdirect, but a look. I do have some information. Here's the information I'll give you if you just get out of here. Like, maybe he didn't want to be part of getting them in trouble because, you know, snitches get stitches. And it, it kind of continues the running gag of Stegman. Even if they had mentioned that, like, he doesn't even know who the maintenance guy is. That's true. So he'd Good probably boy. be like, hmm, now who could that be? <laughs> All right, let's go back to the scene, back with Lenny and Sally. Part of this actually does bother me because Sally is putting Lenny in a compromising position. Let's just talk about this whole, let's just wrap this whole one up. They were in a chair because of the way his arm oh my. hurts. <laughs> nope, uh, do I need to do- draw you a diagram, <laughs> Sam? Jesus. Uh, Not that compromising position. Sorry. I can't even, I don't even know how to reply to that right now. <laughs> No, okay, so I agree with you, CM, because this man is dying, and Sally is like, how can I use this to my advantage? She tells him, like, hey, you're about to die, but I need you to do some ghost detective work for me first. What if he gets stuck? Like, you you have to, you know, move on with some sort of pace. You can't just be lingering. But uh, also, he offers... He asks if there's anything he can do when he goes. Yeah, well, I guess what what irked me is that she literally says not to cross over right away, <laughs> which seems really kind of cruel. And Yeah, the, 
it seems like I'd have a hard time asking someone to risk that. And I guess I didn't give me. her enough credit because he she says that, and I'm like thinking, how is she going to follow up with him? <laughs> She's psychic. Who knows? I I didn't I didn't guess Morris Code Lamp. <laughs> yeah, she she goes full Stranger Things. Lenny goes to the Upside Down and uh, <laughs> communicates via lamp that a patient knows who uh, the ghost is. And thank God Sally knows exactly what kinds of questions to ask to get this information. What is cool about this scene, though, is that we are cutting back and forth. We go to Peter, and he's in his room trying to help Lenny and Sally. Yeah, he has. he's somehow kind of channeling in that in-between space where he is, because theoretically, Lenny's also probably in as much of the the old kingdom as Peter is. So I wonder if like something in there is helping him channel that conversation. Yeah, that could be. Peter wakes up and he is not alone in his room. And I don't just mean Ralph. So he, <laughs> this guy a little, I was like, okay, Peter sees Ralph and Paul. Ralph sees Harriet, but it's actually Paul. <laughs> I was talking about. <laughs> I just stopped taking notes. Rolf wakes up and Harriet's there and you're like, oh, finally, we're going to follow up on her sitting up in the morgue last episode. We're going to figure out what her role in all of this is. And we do find out that it was supposed to be just a suicide pact. There was no escape plan. They were just supposed to die. And he sees her and he's like, oh, that's, yeah, nope. I was supposed to die, I guess. But then she grabs his hand and... She is Paul, so she's she didn't come back to what so Paul can be go what's going on? Was <laughs> does that also mean that she was Paul when she sat up in the morgue? Did it? Was he I don't know. Was he animating her body for some reason? And is that giving Ralph <laughs> a confusing boner? <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's nonsense. It is such like, make it up as we go bullshit. It drives me crazy. <laughs> oh, here we go. Polyet has a message. <laughs> yes. Good. Has a message for Ralph. And that is, she. he warns him that somebody's going to come looking for Peter. And you're going to have to kill this lady. An old woman's going to come. And if she comes in, kill her. <laughs> and I love that he's... That Paul even flat out says, best thing is, no one's going to ask you why you did it because you're crazy, man. Yeah. And he asks, is that why I'm seeing you? And Paul's like, we we both know you're not crazy, dude. Just do this thing. That's an interesting line considering what he did to get in jail. My problem is, why the fuck does this guy not have the guard? Yes, there should be a guard. Also, I get that the last time they had somebody in Peter's room, it was because the hospital was full, mm-hmm. but stick the convicted murderer who tried to poison himself in another room. He's not even handcuffed to the bed, is he? No, he's just tied to the bed. Oh, is he? Cause yeah, he, when he says, uh, when Paul says killer, he kind of like holds his hands up. He's like, I don't think I can. Because he's like kind of hand, like not handcuffed, but 
secured to the bed. Yeah, he's got restraints. Can I tell you guys the thing that clicked in my head during this scene? Yeah. It's that when I started making the notes, I realized that our artist and ghosts are Peter, Paul, and Mary. That sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Just just, that sucks. (laughs) That's the best response to that, Ben. Because the note I said, I I started writing was, Peter sees Paul about Mary. And I was like, wait. <laughs> let's uh let's go to the the sexiest character in this, just the the dashing Dr. Elmer. I hate that he's get, becoming more than just comic relief. I hate it. They're trying to give Elmer pathos. <laughs> he I did enjoy his nightmare though. He's in the sleep lab. Because they're doing, Dr. Hottie's doing a study on him. And he has an awesome nightmare. Is that awesome? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I thought it was pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. It was cool. Because he's walking down the hallway, and you don't know it's a dream yet. And the doll's there, and I'm like, what happened to Sally? Like, did Dr. Stegman get her? Did Ralph get her? What's going on? And he picks the doll up, and he goes to his locker, and then blood starts pouring out. I'm like, oh, okay, this is a dream. And then Ant Bear comes in. I just thought it was fun. What's not fun is how he continually sexually assaults Dr. Hottie. Yeah. I feel like last week it was still up in the air whether this was a flirty relationship or not. Yeah. It's not anymore. He gets no. quite aggressive in the scene. And I feel like I'm part of the problem because I can't remember her name and I keep calling her Dr. Hottie. <laughs> she does kick him in the dick though oh no she should have kicked him in the dick sorry yes. I misread my note how do you forget a last name like Massingale like last episode when they were in the morgue and they have that toast and he you know says uh, the the traps never here to the traps who never give up and she says to the Massingales who never give in and then so right before they have this this standoff and he's trying to put the moves on her real hard. And she's saying, no, like your dad, first like first and foremost, your dad would murder us. We'd be in so much trouble. This isn't going to happen. He says that line again. But now, by the way he's acting, uh, I think the family should just change. The traps don't accept no <laughs> as an answer. For sure. And not to put the responsibility for this on her, but I really wanted her to... And I understand why she did it. You know, that's a scary situation if a man is aggressively attacking you like that. And she's, you know, making excuses. No, your dad. I just wanted to say, I do not like you. I'm not attracted to you. I want nothing to do with you sexually or romantically. Yeah. Because he's seeing all of that as, oh, my foot's still in the door. And fuck him. But yeah, let's cut to Sally, who is not a rapist. She's not entering Peter's yeah. room to rape him <laughs> at all. Not even a little. Excellent transition. <laughs> cm alexander queen of transitions (laughs) she pulls out her crystal and as josh would describe this starts swinging it around towards peter (laughs) (laughs) i actually thought this scene was pretty tense i do imagining it from sally's perspective that she now knows she has to find a patient who is a conduit to this other side and the room she walks in has a convicted six-time murderer and an artist who's in a coma 
and having that moment of like, which one of these is supposed to be like my <laughs> my ally in this? I would. So would it be the guy who's close to death because he's taken life, or the guy who's close to death because he's almost dead? Ooh, it's a good thought, and would be a really interesting uh, area to explore that that we don't at all because he has a magic crystal. So why <laughs> why bother having tension? mystery in the show oh god you can have a magic crystal that goes oh it's this guy over here ben is right the tension is short-lived and ralph is actually trying to get up to kill sally presumably he gets interrupted by dr hook and sally tries to convince dr hook to let her talk to peter and he references the keepers of the kingdom too yeah because everyone everyone knows about him he also, as he's escorting her to the elevator to go back to her room, he, she's trying to explain. She's like, oh, I, the, explaining what happened, explaining why she needs to talk to Peter. And Hook says something along the lines of, I don't remember the exact line, I'm not going to let the hospital's most famous hypochondriac use her neurologically unsound husband as a Ouija board. I love that line <laughs> so much. Okay, A, Lenny was her husband? B, he's dead. <laughs> That's super insensitive. They're not talking about Lenny. They're talking about Peter. What? You're talking about Peter. She He referenced using a woman's husband, not Sally's yeah. husband. He's like, how am I going to talk to to Natalie that you? I want this hypochondriac <laughs> woman to come in and use your dying husband as or your comatose uh, husband? Okay, well, that's good because my next note is I'm an idiot, so <laughs> that's good. <laughs> good. <laughs> oh, I I didn't like Doctor Hook's response to her because first of all, he's seen a ghost. Up close and personal. So, like, he does, he has no reason to not believe in her anymore at this point. And Stegman was calling her a hypochondriac, and he sort of just like whips that out like Stegman did. And I thought that was really disrespectful and rude. Flashback to episode one when we introduced the character, and all three of us are like, she's a hypochondriac, right? And we're like, yeah. No, she's a yoga doctor. <laughs> you're as, Sam, you're as bad as Stegman. Them's fighting words. <laughs> all right uh so josh had to leave the podcast ben it's just me and you <laughs> finishing this out <laughs> okay so there's uh one more scene we get a scene between elmer and his dad oh but it's such a big who cares is it just me um it's not me with you <laughs> <laughs> i these characters, I don't give a shit about these characters. <laughs> I uh, I don't care as much about Lewis because we've only known him, like he's a doctor who's been in and around a lot of conversations, but he hasn't had a lot of development on his own. It is interesting to see how emotionally messed up Elmer is based on like how much of an effect all of this had on him developing as an adult uh i think he throws that temper tantrum a little hard this show is trying so hard to be an ensemble 
drama. I think it's a little too short to successfully pull that off, maybe. Yeah. Here are the characters that matter. Peter, Sally, Hook, Stegman, Mary, Paul. The end. Anything outside of those six, I don't give a shit. I'm like, get back to the ghost stuff. That's (laughs) all I care about. You know what did get me, though, in this scene? Elmer does not want an autopsy. You know, he, Dr. Lewis brings that up and he's like, no, don't do an autopsy. My thought was that because he asks when he tells him about his mom, he says, you know, was she high? And I'm, I feel like he doesn't want an autopsy because he doesn't want to find out, oh, she was high when she died. I had the same exact feeling. Like it, he says to not do the autopsy and give her some peace, but I wonder if that's more peace of mind for him so he can tell himself that when his mom passed, she was clean. Yeah, that's what I think. And that did give it a little more weight for yeah. me. All right, Dr. Strong Independent Woman finds something she likes on Elmer's sleep readings. The first time probably in her career with him that anything related to Elmer has been enjoyed by her. (laughs) She gets a reading on her computer that there's been a positive match and it pulls, she clicks on it, she pulls up and it's Elmer Traff's profile that says that he is positive for Project Sandman. And on that screen are two other people there are only two other people that are on this Project Sandman positive list, and that is Abel and Kristen. Did I forget what Project Sandman is, or do we not know yet? Nope. Of course we don't know what that is. I, I'm actually really excited for it because I like Neil Gaiman, though. <laughs> I, <laughs> so I don't know if it'll be as cool as what I'm hoping it ends up being. I'm sure episode uh, episode five is going to be a critically acclaimed graphic novel. <laughs> that would blow my freaking mind. I think it just uh, it follows through. We hear about that in episode one also, that she has been internally asking for volunteers within the hospital for her sleep lab study. And that's how Elmer gets on her duty in the, the very beginning in the very first episode. So it's interesting to see, like, if she's trying to... How many people in the hospital she's run this test on? Yeah. I just assume that these sleep study matches and our, you know, Peter and and Sally, all of those are going to cross. Like, they're going to find allies. All right. We end with Mary on top of the elevator, where she always is. It's her home, crying for help. Okay, so I assumed that the reason that the elevator was haunted and always had all these problems and Mary was up there was because her doll was up there. Now her doll's not up there. So why is Mary on the elevator? (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Because it's just the easiest way to travel. Well, she knows that these doctors notoriously are putting patients in the elevators by themselves constantly, so she's got a captive audience. (laughs) Okay, there's something that I want to talk about briefly to wrap up this episode. Uh, We have an amazing listener and fan, Bryant Burnett, who has graciously shared some better quality episodes with us. And Josh, I believe you're the only one who's had a chance to review them yet. And we missed some stuff. So I just want to say to everyone, we're going to talk about some things we missed. If we seemed like dumber than usual in the first three episodes... 
That's why. <laughs> yeah. So this is, I'll start with the one that's a really minor detail. Uh, we got really excited when CM pointed out the Nozzle Cola truck at the very beginning. Now with a better quality, I see that the Nozzle logo is literally everywhere. It's on like every vending machine. There's always somebody, there's somebody drinking it in a few scenes. It's crazy. It's so prevalent and I had no idea. Another major one was that when episode one, we see that Ant Bear is whispering something to Peter and both Ben and I didn't care what we said. We assumed he wasn't supposed to be able, we weren't supposed to be able to hear it. And CM wanted to know what it was. Well, it turns out he's just introducing himself basically. And he's saying that his name is Antibus and he's the keeper of the gate. Nice. Let's make our predictions for episode five. I, I don't know. And um, quickly reaching. I don't care. <laughs> oh, Ben, I'm so I'm so sad that you're you're starting to fall off the show. I, every episode, I'm starting to love it even more. So it'll be interesting. So my prediction is Ben and I will drift further apart <laughs> after episode five. As friends, <laughs> <laughs> both both professionally and personally. I hope that in the next episode we find out more about Stegman's car and I hope that the ghost ambulance gets a backstory. And I hope that no dead people get slapped in the face. (laughs) That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we are watching episode five, Hook's Kingdom. For Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, I'm Joshua Kahn reminding you, I used to hate myself. I like myself now. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Kingdom Hospital Part 4. Let us know what you think of the series so far on our social media at Dairy Public Radio or send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. As always, check out our website, constantreaders.org, for everything Stephen King and Stephen King adjacent. And please visit our Patreon page. Every month we release a bonus episode, and this month is really special because we're releasing an episode that has been in the works since August of last year. And I'm going to leave you with a little teaser of what you can expect in that episode. You're on the wrong side of the track. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.